you know, the point is, I never had that conversation with the coach. I thought it was just expected that someone would tap you on the shoulder. So my first lesson, open your mouth, right? You have to, if, whatever you're thinking, don't, be, don't assume someone else knows it. Don't assume someone's going to, in your career, don't assume someone's going to tap you on your shoulder to tell you, you know, we have a promotion for you. All right, guys, Craig over here with the battle plan. And I'm over here with David Carler. And, um, you know, David and I actually played some ball together back in the day at Sacred Heart University. And, um, you know, that's not really why we're connecting today. We kind of, you know, uh, cross paths on LinkedIn. And I saw some of the things that he's been doing. He's been showing up on Good Morning America. He's writing some books. Um, he's got this uh, book called The Investment World 101, we'll, which we'll link in the, uh, the show notes here. And then he's working on sales, not sleaze. And we were just kind of chatting about it beforehand. I was like, man, let's get this thing recorded and go, get after it. But, um, you know, as far as this podcast goes, we're going to ask some of those tough questions because, you know, we always look at people after success and then it's like how they get there. And then, you know, when people tell the story, they, they go on their little tours and they do their little uh, things. And it's like always like, oh, I got here because of X, Y and Z. We're going to get into a little bit more than that. We're going to talk about that real struggle, that stuff, because people can't relate to the success if they're not there yet. They're in that struggle bus. They're in that stuck. They're in that hurt, that pain, that place of like, I don't know how to get the hell out of here. So it's like, I want to focus in on that a little bit with this, but bring me to today and we'll kind of go back to where we were. So, I mean, tell them who you are right now in the world and, you know, what, what you should get out of, uh, you know, following along with David Carler here, which we'll put all his information in. Nice. First of all, you know, Craig, this is, you know, we, we, we've known each other for some time, but every time I see you, you're working on something that I had no clue you were, you were leading in that direction. Right. So this is good. I like your growth, man. So congrats on all your success. And I Thank hope this, this podcast takes off because this is good organic conversations. I listened to a couple before and I said, okay, I like this. So we changed the things up a little bit. I actually had a, um, a host before a uh, co-host, I should say. Um, and, um, you know, he was, he's great. He's a great co-host, but, uh, we, I just had a different direction and, you know, with everything that went on, there was a little big, big lapse in our, you know, recordings. And I was like, man, I got to push this new thing, this new battle plan, which is what I'm really about. And this really like, I do it with myself in my own community. And it's really what I feel like a lot of people sort of follow me for. Cause I'm a no BS guy. I'm a, I'm a new Christian, but I'm still struggling with that. And I still will talk about it, but I'll say and ask anything. And so that's really what I want to know is because a lot of people will just fluff people and pat them on a, it's a big circle jerk, right? I don't want that. I want to know what's really going on to get people where they got to go. Cause people are stuck and they're hurt and they're in pain. And I coach people online and it's like, I want to, I, I relate more to those people because they're in this place. And it's like, I know I can take you from zero to hero versus, you know, being mediocre to something better. I want to see that big transformation in somebody's life. So that's what we're looking for here. I love but it. I appreciate I love that, man. Good stuff. So uh, my background, originally, you know, born and raised in New York City, Brooklyn, New York, spent some time in Queens, New York. So, you know, I'm not biased in any boroughs. I love New York City, New York City. Uh, New York City was crazy late, you know, late 90s, early, early 90s to late 90s. So my family then moved to Massachusetts, um, you know, didn't have a network there, didn't grow up there. Wasn't too the extended family wasn't there. So kind of just, you know, stayed to myself, focus on uh, sports. New York City, I was a basketball guy when I got to Massachusetts. You know, I played both basketball and football in New York City. But when you get to Massachusetts, you know, that outdoor playground environment's not there. So then I just focus only on football and I said, you know what, Sacred Heart is in between Massachusetts and New York. I just picked the school. I mean, I don't know how deep this is going to get, but that 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 was a whole experience in itself. But 
you know, I picked the school without even visiting. I went to just pick Sacred oh, wow. Heart and that was it, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, so just had different aspirations, but I'm glad life went the way it went because every time there was a, a tough decision or something that I thought wasn't ideal on the other side of it was like jackpot. So I don't even get stressed out anymore when there's little struggles or adversity because that just means the jackpot is on the other side. So you got to okay. go through the pain. You got to get comfortable with the pain. So yeah, left Sacred Heart, finance degree, uh, went to GE Capital. Everyone wanted to get to GE. When you're in business school, that's like the thing. And, and yeah. the headquarters was right behind the campus. Right down the school. Right down the school. Yeah. Yep. So I was there for about eight years. GE, commercial finance, leasing aircrafts and construction equipment. Fun. Learned a lot about people, uh, business, just business etiquette uh, and what's important to running a business. I think that, you know, financial planning and analysis, just the bottom line. How do we get to the bottom line? And GE has kind of been my DNA, just how to be more efficient. Right. If you can do something with 10 people, can you get the same output with nine people, right? Mm-hmm. And so forth. That, that's always the concept. But it wasn't a passionate game. It was just numbers, numbers, numbers. So I got into the personal wealth management, working with that same clientele who I was helping lease the aircrafts or the construction equipment or office equipment. Now we're talking about their personal aspirations, their personal life. And I just started getting licensed. And I How'd you switch from that? How'd you, how'd you go from, uh, you know, talking to the B2B, right? The commercial guy yeah. or the even... You know, I'm sure you're talking to Sikorsky or these other people are doing financing, you know, for big deals. You just mentioned airplanes and things of that nature. So how do you go from, you know, working with, you know, B2B, essentially, most likely I would assume that's what it was, or unless it's just smaller, small, 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 uh, you know, companies, but then getting into helping, you know, financial planning, because we were both finance majors uh, at Sigur Heart, and I could yeah. see myself, you know, when I'm looking at your resume here and I was going through it, I was, man, I was like, I, I could have had this resume if, if, if I chose that life, because we were both in that spot, right? You would be good in it too. It's, you know, feel free. You know, it's never, it's not enough of us. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually working with Barnum Financial MetLife Group uh, in my senior year for my internship and I turned it down. Actually, they gave me the job at the end of the day and I was like, I was still trying to play ball. I was still trying to do those kind of things. So yeah. I was still, you know, like in debt, you know, with college loans and trying to like possibly go play somewhere else. And then I ended up getting a semi-pro, but I was going to go to Italy and go play with the Brigamore Lions and things of that nature. Another story. But um, how do you go from commercial at GE to, uh, you know, it looks like you went from Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, you were a director. I'm not sure what CFG is. That's still, that's, still that's the caller group. That was the real estate. So I, I got licensed to do real estate in New York and that, that was a game changer. Just learning how re- commercial real estate, how you treat it like another asset class yeah. versus just buying and selling property it was really fixed income like behaving. And for the record, you know, none of this is financial advice. I'm a financial advisor, but we're just talking high level right now, sharing. So none of this yeah, is we're not financial passing information. As soon as he passes a dollar across the table, then it's then yeah. it's real advice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, so it just blew my mind how to think about real estate in another fashion when you're selling hotels and and you know multifamilies and all this other stuff. So it was just another investment tool. Uh, but we'll get into that. But um, okay. so gradually. My, Answer your question. How do I go from B2B to personal wealth management? Yeah, where'd that, where'd that come from? Some of it is luck. Some of it is timing. So 2008, 2009, um, it was hard for everyone, right? GE Capital, you know, we were lending institutions. So commercial finance, the money became more expensive for GE to, to acquire to then lend it. So the mar- the margins were in order for us to compete with the lending rates of the bank, the, you know, the, the Bank of America's and so yep. forth, or Wells Fargo's, whoever it is, we still had to keep rates low, but our cost of money, you know, of acquiring money was higher. So the margins were super thin. Yeah. Um, 
you know, commercial finance just became unattractive. We, we started to lose some big dollars in aircraft, for example. You know, there were some, some interesting things where, you know, KYC became a big thing. You lease a plane to someone, their mafia or cartel, and it yeah. gets seized in another country. That's a $20 million hit on your balance sheet. And things like that started happening and the losses were just coming left and right. So I'm on Wall Street, by the way, just to put context here. So the people that are listening to me, I'm on Wall Street at this time. So I'm actually just getting into trading for myself. I was two years as a clerk, 2006, seven and eight in uh, eight, I think October or something right around my birthday. uh, I started trading actually as a a Wall Street derivatives trader at the NYMEX. So I was actually on Wall Street. So like you're saying this and I'm looking at like where I was in life right now. And I'm like, yeah, we're both in that financial market. So and it was Harry, Lehman Brothers family. (laughs) So everyone just was looking for a way out, basically. So it became unattractive. Now, I worked at the end of commercial leases. So when we shut the faucet off on the front end, we stopped writing new leases in 09. That means three years later, you know, the end of a 36 month lease, we had nothing coming off lease. Yeah. So I basically had a three year head start to start looking for something to do because the, the portfolio would be super thin three years from now. So I'm in I'm in the business. A girl approaches me about insurance. Like, come on, you know, I, you know, I tell people no every day and she's a persistent, persistent. I take the insurance exam while I'm still working at GE. Don't need it. I'm making good money at the but time. But are you at this? And this is what I want to get at, because, I mean, a lot of opportunities will come and we say yes to some and no to some. So yeah. you're a big shot. You're taking leases. You're dealing with millions of dollars coming through and you're like insurance. I want to sell that. So, like, talk to me about that process, because there's someone listening right now that might have a job opportunity. I think there's so many more jobs than people are taking right now because they're looking out for that extra money. And I, I think we're talking about a different crowd, right? We're not really talking about the low man. We're talking about someone who's, you know, making some serious capital or at least playing with it. You know, there's a difference between making it and playing with it. But once you're up there, you feel like, you know, your shit don't stink, right? So you're up there and you feel like you got this clout going on. So like, I feel if I was in your shoes, I'm dealing with GE and dealing with all these these big, big numbers. Someone approaches me like that. It's beneath me. Is that how you felt at the time? Um, or, or give me that. Give me that emotional standpoint. You're, I just thought it was I don't want to use the word annoying. You know, a lot of times somebody said because she was, I think, kind of like, you know, in an organization where she would get something if I came aboard. Yeah. And, you know, she was persistent. She's like, you know, just use it as a supplementary. Keep it in your back pocket kind of thing. And normal, luckily for me, I think historically what's helped me well has been I always say yes to opportunities. Even if it, I don't see the end game right away, I say yes to it. Because, you know, I think when you're open to different ideas, there's no monopoly on ideas. When you think you know it all, you get blindsided. So long story short, I said yes to this. I didn't need it. I'm working full time. Life is good. I still go and learn, you know, take the insurance exam at some somewhere in Connecticut. And I passed the exam and now I have an insurance license. Great. What do I do with this insurance license? So I put it in my back pocket. Time is going at GE and then it, it doesn't improve. We thought the recovery, you know, coming out of 09, we thought it'd be back to normal. But those big happy hours with the company card and, you know, the, the holiday parties with black tie, that stuff ended in 09, 2010, and, and it never came back. And, and it, how did you I feel? Let's, let, I mean, as, as we're going through this, I don't want to miss because there's going to be certain things you're going to say that I'll miss on it. So like, talk to me about that. Talk to me about how scary it was being in 08, 09, having that uncertainty, you know, being, look, I might lose my job. I might lose my career. What am I going to do? Are you not sweating? Because I just think the way you talked about your, your, your going through college and everything else, but like, talk to that. Because I think there's people right now that are seeing, which we're going to talk to talk today, 
with this market collapsing right now, everything, FUD everywhere about talking about this market diving. Are we entering that recession? I don't know what happened to FM, the, the meeting today. I don't, you could probably help us bring, bring us up to uh, what uh, he said, but um, I missed it today because I was busy doing other things. But I've been watching it. My portfolio has gotten butt kicked lately. So um, talk to me about that because 08, 09, that's scary times for a lot of people. And a lot of people that are probably listening don't always uh, you know get it because they were younger. But who knows? I mean, who, who knows what's going on right now? So tell me about that like the emotional state of that. For the first time I seen, I had, a, you know, some coworkers late fifties were in the office, literally crying at GE, right? This oh. is 2008, 2009. And that just blew my mind. Like, you know, 58 year old lady in the office, you know, corporate environment, you're supposed to keep the ice face, mm. nothing bothers you. And I seen ladies crying in the office because the 401k had literally cut in half, right? Oh so God, let's say yeah. you're planning to retire in a year or two, you had 700 in there. You now have 300 or 350. And if it's allocated incorrectly, forget about it, right? Yeah. So that was, again, one of those things where you just keep it in your mind and it's in the back pocket, right? Because now I know, okay, people are working and don't have a clue about financial management, financial planning, what it means. They're in finance and have no no clue about personal financial you know, uh, discipline. So that was just shocking to me to see that people were getting hit pretty hard. That made it real. The economy wasn't just... In the newspaper, my coworkers are literally crying. So um, emotionally, yes, it's scary. Now, as an advisor, you know, I have perspective, right? I we have research. I know what happened in, you know, 1928, 1930s. You know, I have a perspective I didn't have sitting in that chair at GE. This felt like the end of the world. Whereas now we know you can expect that every five to seven years, something's going to happen. We don't know what, but it's going to be the tech bubble in 01. It's going to be 08 housing crisis. It's going to be covid it's, you know, it can be anything, right? And who knows the next one, the next thing could be around the corner. We've been on a 10-year bull market for, you know, some people say it's, it's been a 10-year nice run. Yeah. COVID was kind of a quick in and out. And so I don't know if we want to count that as the big hit, but a correction is due. Something drastic is going to happen, but we need to plan for that, right? Yeah. So don't don't play defense, play offense. Um, so emotionally, yes, scary, 100%. You don't know where you're going next. I'm like, hey, I have this insurance thing in my back pocket. Worst case scenario, it's something. Right. And I didn't do it and just ignore what it was. I didn't just do it to take the test to shut her up. I actually looked for things I didn't know. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. These were concepts that were foreign to me. I, you know, I'm in commercial finance. I don't know anything about insurance. Right. So, um, you know, I learned a lot and I just knew it was great stuff. I didn't know where to apply it yet. So okay. uh, I park it. The mo- things took a turn for the worse at GE. We start selling off portfolios. And I said, OK, time to jump ship. Personal wealth management because I was comfortable talking to that same C-suite person, that CFO for the commercial leases. Now it's the same clientele who I'm talking to now about their personal finance. So you miss, so, so I don't, I don't want people to miss this. So you're, you have a job and, and you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to build some knowledge in the background. I'm going to have this thing on the side. Cause I, I may need it or I may not, you know, but I don't need it today because I have this secure thing. So a lot of people will talk about like a side hustle. And so essentially you created the side hustle, not knowing you need it, but it was there for you when you, when, when you could tap it. Right. And right. so, you know, I just want to show what, what you might want to think about doing. You got this current job. I have a client right now, Brian, and, uh, he's, uh, you know, big deal with the mandates right now. We, I don't know where you are with that. And it doesn't really matter We're, we can get into it if you want, but, uh, um, you know, he, he kind of is someone who's not into the vaccination, um, you know, against it. And his company is making him feel real guilty. And he's, he's high up in the company. 
And uh, his company is making him feel real guilty. So a lot of pressure. So the guy's looking for a job right now. And, um, you know, so he's in that stuck. So like what you were talking about, it's kind of like, you know, having something in your back pocket, he's got a good skill. He's in an accounting field. He's a CFO and things of that nature. So I'm sure he can go counterlaterally somewhere, but I mean, just having that thing to go when you're, you know, just going through your normal, you know, nine to five job and you have these things going and you're at home watching TV and doing these other things. Maybe people should think about having this something else on the side, doing some like self-education or some research on something else you could be doing. Because, you know, at this time in frame, this time of day, the world changes so fast and we don't know what can happen. I mean, I just read an article the other day about, you know, talking about like the year 2040, 2050, like how many jobs are going to be replaced by like robotics, AI and things of that nature. They said like 45% of the jobs are gone what the hell are people going to do? Like, that's a serious conversation I want to talk about. Like, what are people going to do? So what skill sets are you building now when the world you know is going to change? Yeah. You know, the one way to guarantee yourself, to guarantee yourself a long-term win is make sure you're you're doing things you're passionate about, right? If you're just working to have, to get a paycheck, when that run, you know, that's, that's the horrible way to live, first of all. So mm. find a, a deep why like a real one, right? And 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 I think you'll you'll find a way to make money, right? So like you said, robotics is going to replace a lot of things, and people are stuck in no man's land because they don't know where to go next. Go where your passion is. That's an easy answer, you know. What if your the- passion is now lo- no longer in service, so that so that job that you're into is now being replaced by robotics? You know, for example, like all the taxis, you know, you might as well if you're a taxi driver, you might as well go get another job. I mean, all these uh, people that are you know uh, doing the um, the driving, what's it, what's it called? The uh, Ubers, Uber. Ubers yeah. and uh, all that other stuff. Like guys, your, your job is replaceable in 10 years. Like, you know, you might as well have a two or three year plan because it's probably going to happen sooner than later where it's going to be like total recall where it's the taxi cab. I don't know if you remember that movie, but it's like oh, yeah. literally that dude in the, in the corner. It's just a body with a robot. And it's just like, Hey, yeah. where are we going? That's happening. It's coming guys. It's, it's here. So it's yes. like, whatever you think you're doing, if your job is on the cutting block, you better start now. Um, like David did kind of, you know, is, is going on everything there, but what do you think? I mean, if your passion is, well, if the job is going away, your passion doesn't have to go with it. So let's say automated driving and electric vehicles and all this technology is taking over the vehicle world. If you're, if you're passionate about driving and cars, well, can I get, can I get behind the Tesla push? Right. Maybe there's something you can do in that world. I'm not, and I'm giving you an example. I don't know the ins and outs of the auto industry, but I think if you're if you're passionate about something, you can attack it from a different desk. You know, get invested in it, right? I mean, we're yeah, investors in this this call. I, I like, you know, he's ex trader, you're a planner right now. So, yeah. um, you know, you can invest in something that might replace you. You know, just like uh, I literally was looking the other day. I'm like, why have I not bought the VIX at like you know some like ten dollar level and just owned it? And then every time it goes up sell calls against it. So I just keep it, keep owning it. Like, is that not, is that not a play? Like I'm, I'm trying to go back to like my trader mentality and I'm just like, okay, I showed the VIX the other day. I literally had this thing on my radar looking at calls um, when it was trading about $17. And this was, I don't, I forget when, but it was trading $17. I was looking at April calls and they were kind of expensive, but I was like looking at the $40 call. Fucking thing's trading $31.16 right now. But what if I just owned the underlying and then just sell calls against it every time it pops. So therefore I could keep owning the underlining and then I have the upside. So I just keep making like a small dividend every time things go crazy. And if you look at the chart, it pops every now and again. So that, I'm not a financial planner guys like uh, David right now, but that's a strategy I am currently looking into. And I will certainly let you know if I deploy it. You know what? When it comes to trading, I think there's a difference between traders 
or even stockbrokers and in, in, in financial advisors slash financial planners, right? I think every financial advisor is probably not a great trader, right? And traders don't give financial holistic financial advice. I'll right. say they're good at investing, but not holistic planning. I'm on the planning side, so I think you may be you may know more about trading than I do, right? To to be 100 percent blunt, when I work with my clients, it's really about building the di- and we're jumping all over the place. I love it, <laughs> but we're building the muscle the, the, the muscle memory and the behaviors that go into financial planning. So it's, it's someone who, who so if I have a client who a couple right husband and wife put away a thousand bucks a month for 20 years, they're going to be at a million bucks, right? If the if the if the portfolio averages ten percent, maybe it's one point three. If it averages eight, maybe it's one point oh and change. But they're going to be happy they just put away the thousand a month, mm-hmm. right? So the percentage points in the trading, I try not to dig into the weeds, and I'm not a market. You know, I'm a long term guy. I look at trends as far as lifestyle changes, like this new electronic, this new electric vehicle way of doing business, uh, or, or transporting this Zoom way of doing business. This is the new, this is the future, right? No one's shaking hands. We're not going to offices anymore. So commercial real estate, maybe it's going in a different direction because of how we do business and resident. You know, so I'm looking at long-term trends, but day-to-day up and down moves and tactical trading. I, you know, I'm I'm outside every when a client brings me funds, I hire I have about 20 portfolio managers. They have like six screens and they just mm-hmm. do trades all day long. And yeah. I give them guys credit because I can't, I can't do it. So um, yeah, I'm a planner. So you're talking about the habit side of trading. So it's almost like the habit side of fitness because we, you know, obviously got into the fitness world myself. So um, you're talking about just making that daily or weekly or monthly, you know, contribution to, you know, your, your future essentially. And so even with this market dip, you know, the S and P down, I don't know how much it's been down this year so far or whatever. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, so no matter what you're saying, you know what, you got to basically do the sets and reps. You got to shower every day. You got to basically take that no matter if the market's bleeding or if it's yeah. down this much, you're going to dollar cost average in a thousand bucks into the market at some point. Is that your strategy? Exactly. Right. So my my day to day is really working with that client who says, hey, I want to retire at 60. I'm 50 or I'm 48 years old. Uh, I'm caring for my parents. Right. So they want to have a long term care plan. Um, you know, what happens if something was to go wrong? Right. If I can't work, I want to make, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor making half a million a year, what happens if I develop a tremor and I can't do surgery anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So we would, is there something out there that can make sure I get a check if something was to go wrong? Um, you know, it's that it's that bigger picture. I have a, I have two young kids. I want to get them through college in 15 years. It's 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 putting a plan that speaks to all of it. So, you know, I look at investment as one, one leg of financial planning, right? There's three legs. There's risk management, then there's the accumulation side with investments, and then probably most important is your distribution strategy. Having a distribution, you know, a plan for pulling money out of your portfolios. We don't know. We can we know the market averages, but we don't know the sequence. We don't know the timing of it all. Right. So you have to plan for that. So asset allocation is important, but asset location is important as well. Um, there's so much that goes into planning. Trading is, a, is an important piece, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's you know, I try not to go in the in the weeds of trading. And we you know, I have a large portfolio management team. Those are your CFAs. Right. Your Harvard MBAs, they love that stuff. And, you know, and they don't meet clients. So I'm Just client. Let me, let me ask you this question, David. Yeah. Who is um, who's your client? Right. Because, I mean, most people are going to be like, hey, 
what's the stock pick you got? You know, what's this, what's that? They're going to ask you. They always want that thing. In fitness, what's the, what's the supplement I should take? What's the exercise I need to do? Well, you need to do all of it, right? I mean, you got to do yes. all of it. So like your client right now, who are they? Because I mean, essentially they're probably saying, you know what, I'm giving you my money because I don't have to think about it. I would assume that that person is just busy working and they're not worried about their financial future because that's what they got you for, you know, as right. supposed to be that person who's always collecting information to deploy it at some point in time, but they usually never do. And they're the person who's like pissing and moaning that they missed the bubble because they collected all the information. They're looking for the stock trades, but they never deployed it. I got a brother who's been asking me about crypto and I've been in crypto a lot. I'll tell you, I'm way allocated uh, wrong, uh, risky, I should say, but I just assume we'll make money. But- um, You got time, you got time. Yeah, I do, I hope. Uh, If God grants me another day here. But um, who's the the client that you, I mean, that way we could send you some business if they're listening. Uh, Who's the best person for you? Um, You know, because it sounds to me, it's like, you're not looking for the person who wants to pull the plug or pull the, pull the triggers themselves. They don't have their trading account or maybe they do, but I mean, who, give me your avatar. So at least they're, if they're listening, they can jump on. So my client is, and I, and I say off the bat, a lot of the people I work with are smarter than I am. Right. So it's not like, you know, I'm smarter than everyone else out there. A lot of my clients are just busy, successful. They're running their families, their business owners, executives. Uh, they've accumulated a quote unquote, a lot of stuff, Right but they don't have a complimentary plan, right? I, I use the fashion analogy all the time, right? If you went to, you know, Macy's or Bloomingdale, anything you bring to the cash register, the cashier will take it and swipe it, right? They'll say, good to go. A stylist is gonna have a tape measure and is gonna tell you that doesn't work with this, right? So a lot of people come to me, you know, with that retail mentality, they've collected stuff. Someone told them to buy this, they bought it. Their cousin bought this, they bought it. They inherited this, but it's not a cohesive plan. It's not tax efficient. A lot of gaps in the plan. So my client is busy. They're, they're successful in their career. They have a family, most most more than likely. Or if you know some of these athletes are in the athlete world, they just don't. They're just a, a mess. A lot of assets, but it's there's no plan to it. So it's really that person who's busy doing what they do best, who doesn't have the time to spend time trading and 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 m- handle it themselves. So they want. When should you start it. investing? At what level of income or disposable cash flow that you might have? Because most people that you can ask, I think they say about 50% of people don't even have six months in the bank or something. It's some version of that, you know? So like, at what point should someone start investing and, and say, you know, I got to worry about this. Um, and then, you know, what tips could you give them to, you know, get rid of maybe the subscriptions or the other things to start making an investment and what's too small? If you're cash flow positive, right? Meaning you, you take home seven grand a month and you're spending six grand a month and there's a thousand left over, you should... Obviously, you're not going to invest the whole thousand, but you should start thinking, what what should I do with this surplus? So it's you just mentioned a big one, right? Ninety percent of this country doesn't have emergency funds, six months of reserve. You should absolutely be putting something towards uh, emergency funds. Then you should be thinking risk management, right? You should always be thinking about generations and risk management and what happens if that's all your insurance is. And then maybe it's half of that thousand dollar surplus. You should be thinking about some sort of investments, right? Be as tax efficient as you can. If you're not phased out of the Roth IRA or something like that, invest in it. Or maybe your company has, your firm has a Roth 401k or, you know, I like tax-free dollars. So I'm always thinking yeah, Roth. Of course. But yeah. He's saying Roth should. guys, because that basically you could put in uh, after-tax dollars and let it grow until the, uh, what's the age? When, do, when can you take out of Roth? 59 and a half. 59 and a half. So the, basically All that money right. grows tax-free, it compounds. So therefore you're not taking out of it every year, et cetera. So uh, Roth is a good plan. I have one, I have crypto Roth IRA actually. But um, recently, I've only done that because I was busy building businesses. So now it's like I got to start putting money away. Yeah. 
Um, so it's really about making sure you check all the boxes and not being product centric. A lot of times you mentioned it earlier, people will come to you. What do you think? Uh, you know, stocks, stocks is better than real estate or stocks are better than bonds or insurance is the way to wealth. You know, they're looking for that magic bullet. And like you said, what's better, drinking water or eating right? You know, exercising or, or, or working out or getting eight hours. Of, you need all of it. It's just the conversation should be how much should I allocate where? It shouldn't mm-hmm. be what's better, this or this. Everything's good for you or everything can be bad for you if you misuse it. So I think people need the general public probably needs to get away from products. You know, someone told me about options trading. Can I get rich doing options? You can get rich doing anything, right? So my job. Which the really- timing's right, right? I mean, it's uh, something that what I'm yep. hearing you say is timing's critical because the timing is often. The timing is frequent. The timing is a habit. And if you do it more often, you're going to basically have more wins in the market because you're going to basically, you know, get rid of the fluctuations. And you didn't say this, but I mean, it's the same thing, right? If your dollar cost averaging when the market goes up and when it goes down, you're at least you're going to get a, you know, a, a good place where you're in a, you're in the game versus sitting on the sidelines thinking about it. Did I miss the dip? Did I, did, did I get in too late? Well, if your dollar cost averaging in, you're always in, right? And then it's your, your, you can play the game. And then when you're playing the game, you can think about it more. Uh, not that you want to think about it more, but at least you're not second guessing. What if, what if I did do this, et cetera. So that there's definitely something to do about saying yes and doing something. You mentioned at the beginning of the call, something I did as well as I said, a yes, a lot. I think there's some value in saying no, but man, if you don't step up and get, give yourself an opportunity to actually be in the game and play, you're just going to be always the what if guy. You're going to be always the one acquiring knowledge and information on the sidelines, waiting to deploy that one day, but then it's never going to happen. And you're going to be failure launch, always second guessing, always feeling bad, always feeling you missed it. You know, you know, I always tell people the story. Saying yes is the reason I think a lot of good things happen to me, right? I'll tell you this one story. I'm at Sacred Heart, freshman year, and um, I'm in the hallway, football practice, right? Sweats bandana on, looking crazy. I don't know why anyone would approach me to do anything. This girl comes up to me, not not African-American. She says, do you want to join this club? I'm like, girl, it's crazy. I, first of all, I give her kudos for even approaching me with this idea. But she's like, do you want to come join this club, Students in Free Enterprise? I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm like, what does she want? But I'm like, you know what? I'll, all right, I'll come to the meeting. I go to the meeting. I don't know if you remember this lady, Dr. Bridget Lyons. Yeah. She was, she was running the club. And um, I tell you, I learned, you know, when you're playing football, it's hard to get an internship. At least for me, I found it hard to get an internship. I don't think I owned a suit. Right. (laughs) You know, your hair is crazy on campus. right? I don't have a good barb. I had no money on campus. So he approached me to join this club and it ended up being really the only uh, experience on my resume leaving Sacred Heart because that group took us. You know, we traveled to Kansas City. We were analyzing businesses. We were helping business owners do projects. It was, you know, if not for that club, I don't have anything on my resume. I don't get into GE Capital mm-hmm. and so forth. So, you know, so if I didn't say yes to some crazy girl just asking me to join this club, which in my head, I'm thinking she's crazy. But again, I want to get her. Maybe that's a bad <laughs> habit of mine. I said yes, just to get her out of here, you know, and, you know, but it ended up I'm serious. I learned a lot in that club and it was better than any class. I take at Sacred Heart and, you know, we won awards. I got a, a George Bush award. Or one of the projects I presented, He's, George Bush sent me an award signed and everything. And, you know, it's because I said yes to some girl from Fairfield. She was a commuter. Yeah. You know, shout out Tracy, Tracy Leuza. I said yes to Go Tracy. Go get it, Tracy. Yeah. And it, listen, it, and that was it, man. I met Bridget through her. Dr. Lyons is one of the smartest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. To this day, we keep in contact. And she, you know, she really showed me a lot of things. So thanks to Tracy and Dr. Lyons. And I said yes to that. And 
Well, you know, I could have easily been like, I'm all set. I don't need to go to a club. You know, I'm tired, fresh after football practice. I don't want to hear it. But it yeah. worked out, man. Sife was my resume. Actually, at the end of one of my Sife presentations in Kansas City, Ford came to me and they wanted to hire me on the spot. So I had Ford, GE, had a few options because of Sife, no other internship. And, you know, I went the GE route, but I was just like, you know, it, it was crazy. I opened Because you showed up and because sh- you said yes, which is crazy. That's great. That's a great story because too many people, like yes. I said, I'm, 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 I'm picking on a certain group of people because in my industry, you know, I deal with, I deal with clients just like you. And obviously they got to have a little bit of net worth because I'm not cheap online. You know, basically when I work with people one-on-one, I'm not only helping them from a health and fitness standpoint, but I'm mentally helping them. I'm getting them over this barrier. So there's a lot of support. There's a lot of things that we do. But a lot of times they'll talk themselves out of it. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough skills, et cetera. It's like, well, that's why you hire someone like yourself or myself. You, you, you hire these people that can bring you the enlightenment, can bring you out of your stuck place of today because you want something better tomorrow. So it's like taking the stab at it and say, maybe I don't have those funds because I'm spending them over here. Or maybe I don't have this thing because I'm too busy hanging around with this group over here. So it's like, you know, taking away all those places that are negative from your life and then replacing them with something positive. I mean, you, you're telling me right now, you got from New York going up to Massachusetts, kind of just went to Sacred Heart on a whim, but you know, you saying yes and playing football and doing these other things were experiences that you can have now have, you know, what would have life looked like if you didn't go to college or did, do didn't things like who knows. Right. So yeah. it's like, you don't have to have that. Oh, what if now? Cause that you did, which is something uh, to be proud of. Right. Right. You know it, right? You were there in Sacred Heart, man. I tell you, one of the things that stands out to me is that no excuse mentality that Jim Fleming, shout out to Coach Fleming. I think, you know, the lessons that you learn there is crazy. I, to this day, I use 16 110s as my measuring stick if something's too difficult. Like you're talking about 0809. I'm like, nothing's as hard as 16 110s. I can handle it, you know. So that's like my meter for like <laughs> 16 110 yard sprints, y'all. That was the what we came into uh, camp with. Uh, Fleming is his first year. He is coach. We went from you were my, we graduated together, right? Uh, three. Yeah. Right. So freshman year, we were two and nine under coach Rodolski. Uh, we both played ball. Uh, um, then we went 10 and one sophomore year with, um, with, with, with Fleming. He came in from, I don't know where he came in from, but he turned us around two and nine and 10 and one. Then we went 11 and oh, won the, won the Duquesne, won beat Duquesne, won the, uh, ECAC bowl. And then uh, he left. He got recruited somewhere else. And we had uh, the offensive lineman coach, um, coach, 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 uh, Lacey. Lacey. Um, he comes in and we go seven and three. But I mean, essentially, that one year that we went uh, two and nine and 10 and one, I think that first year back was 16, 110 yard sprints. That, guys, is a friggin' equalizer. That tells you <laughs> if you uh, are ready to go. But <laughs> yeah. Listen, the biggest lesson, though, you know, in all seriousness, 2001, probably one of the horrible memories of the cunt in this country, right? 9-11. That's mm. the year we go undefeated. And I remember that day, we took a five-minute moment of silence or something, you know, five, a moment of silence. Let some people had to leave or whatever it is. And we practiced. It was a Tuesday, right? Yeah. You know, the hardest practice day of the week. We're the we only one at school that practiced, right? We're, I think we're the oh. only club that practiced. We practiced 9-11. Like it was a, it was one of the hardest days, you know, he, we're knocking each other out, conditioning. And it just let me know, listen, there's no excuse in life for any, you know, mm-hmm. you still have to show up. And that tragedies happen, things happen. Mm-hmm. And just for that two hours, though, you had to be locked in. So it's not a coincidence that team wins the championship that year. 
That's right. You know, everyone else probably canceled practice that, yeah. you know, so Flem, you know, I learned a lot from Flem and that's a lot of life lessons, not just, you know, it didn't minimize the impact of that day, but it just said, you know, we have a job to do as well. You're going to focus here. And then when we're done, you're going to go take care of that. And just now when I'm faced with things, you, you catch a flat tire on the way to a meeting, I could cry and call up, call out and cancel a meeting or okay, Uber, go, my insurance can take it. It just teaches you just don't panic. Just next step, next step. So, and like I mentioned in the beginning of this, every time something has happened to me, anytime I faced adversity, you just don't panic on the other side of it. Jackpot is it like it's happened numerous times. I'm not a super spiritual guy, but Greg, I'm telling you, every time something bad has happened, I, maybe I thought to you know quit or shift jobs or whatever the case is, boom, the jackpot happens right after. So now it's like, now I'm just ready for the pain. I just expect success on the other side. It's no big deal. Life is volatility. Life is like the stock market, right? We know there's going to be dips. When I'm talking to my clients, we forecast it. We, we include that in the research, right? Your portfolio is going to average whatever percent. We know every five to seven years, there's going to be a, a correction. So my clients know that on day one, there's going to be some pain later on. Mm-hmm. So we're going to prep for it ahead of time. So I think when you have that mentality, just roll with the punches. You know, life is going to happen. None of us is immune to it. Some of us are going to have health issues. You're not immune to it. You know, you're going to have family issues, personal issues, right? Marital issues, whatever it is, that's life. So you don't panic. That's not the end of the road, right? Third and 15, you don't just pack it up and go into the locker room, right? No, you call a play for third and 15. You may not get the first down, but you call a play, right? You don't mm-hmm. just go. So that's that's the mentality, and life has proven that to be super correct. So, you know, I, I don't get too high, too low. Life is good. You know, I always say life is great. And, um, you know, so that's me, man, just enjoying the ride and helping as many people as I can. Right on. Well, I think yeah. we're going we're gonna to use that little uh, ending right there as, as a good little segue. How do they follow you? How can they, how can they get you, uh, you know, if they were interested in your services, your conversation, your book, et cetera. I mean, I'll put all everything in the show notes, but I mean, if you just want to pop it right now, what do you got? Where, where can they follow you? Where can they see you, et cetera? Uh, if you want to follow social media, my Instagram is money sports music. You know, that's where I spend a lot of my time talking about money sports music. Huge giant fan, by the way. You know, I don't, I hope, I hope I didn't lose any followers. Now, but <laughs> <laughs> Huge giant fan. Uh, my website, www.davidcarler.nm dot com that's david c-a-r-l-o-r dot n-m as in northwestern mutual dot com uh yeah and that's you know all my stuff is on one of those sites and uh yeah we can we can have a conversation it doesn't cost me to have it doesn't cost you know prospects or people who just want to have a conversation and ask questions free consultations all day so don't worry about oh, i can't talk to him he's going to charge me. i'm not a lawyer i'm not going to charge you per minute or per hour <laughs> but uh yeah give me a call but i love this man so i love helping out sharing information sharing my passion and I'm learning from other people as well as I go through this. Cool. Sounds like he's smooth. This guy's a smooth operator. As far as it goes, there's no highs and lows. It's just consistency. And that's what, you know, what I'm hearing out of, you know, this conversation today. And I'm always looking for more of that, like that pain or that thing that got him through. But it didn't seem like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there any pain that you experienced in there or was it, or did you not really um, have to overcome too, too much? It sounds like you showed up, you were there. The habits, the reps and sets worked out in your favor, but was there any discomfort? Was there anything that actually put you out that, uh, you know, we can, we can really get into because it sounds like you did what everyone's supposed to do. What did you do differently or how did you feel differently in a certain situation that pulled you through? Leave them with something that's like the inner 
stuff that you don't tell people, the stuff that's not in your book, the stuff that I can ask you today. That's like, man, you wouldn't believe I was eating peanut butter and jelly doing this, doing that, you know, like, give me that story. Greg, I have more pain than successful stories. Right? Then tell my, it. Cause this is going to go first. make it hear just, everything good. My mentality is just keep moving. Life is going to happen. That's what I was alluding to a second ago. I can start from high school. I'll tell you my high school story and the issues getting into college. I'm playing high school football, diverse school, right? Nice mix, a decent football program. Um, but people in the, urban, in the urban scenery, most people are not going to school or high school with the mentality college is the next step. So I had a football coach who was like, hey, you know, he's, I think he just thought it was daycare. Right? He's just babysitting these kids to keep them out of danger, right? Um, I showed the coach my SAT scores. You know, I'm kicking butt. I'm like, no, no scouts, no letters, anything. My first few years of college. I'm kicking butt. You know, I'm like, man, I guess I'm just not good enough to play college football. Senior year, I showed the coach my SAT scores. I don't want to put him, put him on blast. You know, it's not his fault. He's, you know, he only knows what he knows. I showed him my SAT scores. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were trying to go to college. So that just blew my mind that there wasn't an assumption that people here want to go to school. So I show him my SAT scores and then college football letters started coming in, but this is senior year. That's why I said I picked Sacred Heart without even visiting. I, it was it was so late in the process. Yeah. But I was playing with a coach who I guess he just didn't expect people to want to go to college. He knew I had the football skill, but he didn't know I had dreams of going to that next step or Did even you just that further time? in my life. Did you at that time? Because I'm not going to put a correlation to like most people that are in a place where they have a manager or they have somebody in overseeing their position if they're not at the top. Do you ever say to them, do you ever, you know, and this is me asking you as well as them, do you ever say to the people that are caring for you or, or helping you or educating you that you have these bigger goals? You know, most people are too busy in the getting by day, you know, day to day without sharing their hopes and dreams. You know, it's people like me that are going to ask people, how big are we going? Where are we, where are we off to? What, what are we going to do together? You know, how can I get you there? You know, and it's, you know, tapping into the resources that, you, that are in front of you. So like your coach never knew. Did you know? Did you know that's what you wanted? First biggest lesson I learned since I was a kid, I always wanted to go to Georgetown, right? Like, you know, I used to watch Georgetown basketball, Patrick Ewing. So I, I always had the dream of law school in my brain. Right. But my father always told me one thing. He said, you got to make friends. You got to make some people your allies or make them your friends. And I didn't know what he was talking about growing up. But, um, you know, the point is, I never had that conversation with the coach. I thought it was just expected that someone would tap you on the shoulder. So my first lesson, open your mouth, mm -hmm. right? You have to, whatever you're thinking, don't be, don't assume someone else knows it. Don't assume someone's going to, in your career, don't assume someone's going to tap you on your shoulder to tell you, you know, we have a promotion for you. It happens sometimes, but most times you have to be in charge of your career. So when we talk about, in that Forget football, GE Capital. I stayed there nine years. I, I always tell people it might have been five years too long, mm -hmm. right? No one, no one ever came to me at GE to tap me to move to the next step. That's right. So we can talk. I have a lot of paint lessons that I learned along the way, but you know, I just keep the positive lens. But one of the biggest things is you have to open your mouth. No one's gonna think about. No one wakes up thinking about David Caller more than they think about themselves, right? So I have to be the one. When I wake up, I need to make sure I'm thinking of where I want to go next what my aspirations are. And I have to share that with the people because again, had I told the coach junior year, I want to play college. Yes. I mean, you'd think he was a teacher in the school as well. So you would think he would be, even if I didn't express that, that he would be encouraging that mm -hmm. on the people he's caring for, but I should have said something. That was the first, you know, open your mouth. You got to ask for what you want. That's right. You know, 
Um, that's a big one because several times in my life, I'm, I've had situations where it's like, if only I'd spoken up, right? Because mm-hmm. I've always just been, you know, you know, I'm never the rah-rah guy. Even when we play football, mentally, I'm talking to myself and getting myself ready, but I'm never going to be the one in the middle of the huddle yelling and giving the speech to the huddle, right? I'm just like, so I think that in, that, that, that quietness or that internal or that intrinsic motivation, sometimes you have to be verbal. And that's right. I think that's, that's a big lesson. You have to speak up and say what you want. No one's going to give it to you. 50 Cent had a great quote, a rapper. He said, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Okay. And that's, that's been with me forever, right? You don't get what you deserve. I don't care what you deserve. No one cares what you deserve or what you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. You have to fix, you have to arrange it and you have to make things happen for yourself. So that was my first lesson coming out of high school. I didn't get, you know, Sacred Heart wasn't one of the schools that sent the letter, you know? So I literally went to Sacred Heart on the phone call. Yeah, come by, yeah, yeah. Never visited the campus. It was between New York and Massachusetts where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Good location. I'll just go with it. And, you know, a lot of things. Oh, and <laughs> I can go on. So my guidance counselor, again, so I'm in a school where people aren't going to college every day. I paid the clearinghouse fee to the guidance counselor. I don't know what she did with the fee. I get to Sacred Heart the day before camp, freshman year, as you might remember. I can't play. I'm not eligible. I've been training my whole summer, getting ready to play football, fall 99. And they say, Coach Nofri calls me August, I think it was like August 7th or something, night before camp. You can't come. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't come? He's like, yeah, you can't, I can't even practice. I can't practice with the team. I can't come. So now I'm 16 years old. I graduated high school 16, so I'm, I turned 17 that summer. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to tell my, you know? So, you know, I could, I could have gone to a lot of different places, man. I could have stayed home. I could have been in the streets. I could have done a lot of things. But yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'll just go to campus and I'll just study. I'll just, you know, <laughs> pay attention to schoolwork. He says, you can't practice with the team. I can't even lift weights with the team, he said. NCAA rules. I'm like, all right. So then that's that. I just go to campus. I'm not even playing. And I'm just like, well, I'm coming to the games as an outsider, man. Craig, you don't know what that is, man. So all because the guidance counselor, I paid the clearinghouse fee. Then she was pregnant. She didn't submit it. And that was it. Oh, well. So I wasn't eligible freshman year football. And it just spiraled. So the football experience didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I learned lessons along the way. You know, I still have a passion for the game today. Like I said, I love, you know, no one can talk more Giants and NFL than me. But, you know, it just it just showed me other things that's probably bigger than football, right? Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. Speak up. <laughs> got to speak up. Got to, you know. And and if you're parenting, you have, I have two young, young children. You got to speak up and you got to be present for your kids too. Because, you know, I noticed parents kind of, you know, when you, when your hands off, you don't know what's going on with your kids. Right. So I think you need to be at, your, your, you know, now I have this job. I run my, you know, I'm 1099. Right. I don't have a boss anymore. That's one of the reasons I, I chose this <laughs> profession. I'm at the bus stop. Right. Doing pickups. I'm going to the recitals at 11 a.m. Right. Midday. I have that freedom and that flexibility to be present, not just, you know, outside of nine to five. So I think that's more important than anything than the dollar is being present, you know, for your kids, because, you know, someone needs to be their advocate. That's when right. they can't, right? If your if your kids in elementary school, the elementary school teacher, you know, no offense to teachers or anything, but you you don't know what they could be telling your kids if you just leave them alone. You got <laughs> to open up another. You're hey, opening up another conversation right now, right? Process. You can't outsource your kid your kids, right? You got to be my, part of that process. Yeah, my um, kid goes to private school right now, kind of, and I and I lucked out. It's you know we didn't know we needed that. You know, as much as I wanted to get my kid a good education, it was like 
you know, this, this year exposed a lot of that, you know, we're not going to get into that on this, this call right here, but um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense what you just said. And, you know, just, just hearing it is that this, you got to step up and obviously tell people what your dreams are. If you're going after something, especially outside of your current self, what does your future look like? What do you want? Cause if you're not saying it verbally, if you're not saying it to somebody, then it's never just, you know, it's, it's not something you're going after. It's just a dream. It's just in your head. It's just, it's just a thought. Oh, maybe one day. But once you start verbalizing that, once you record yourself and say, I want X, Y, and Z, or spend that time telling someone else that you want X, Y, and Z, it becomes probably a reality or closer to getting that step. And then what you just said, essentially, you just can't trust, uh, you know, if it's very important to you, then make sure the job gets done. You know, essentially, you can't just assume someone's going to do the job because what if it doesn't get done and then it's going to affect your future? You got to make sure. And, you know, it's it sucks that you got to kind of sometimes hold people accountable outside of what they're supposed to do. But, you know, essentially, if it's important to you, you're obviously going to tell someone about it and you're going to make sure it gets done. All right, guys. So thanks, David, for coming. Um, at this point in time, brother, let's give you a shout out. Instagram at Money Sports Music. Make sure you follow him on Instagram there. And his website is David Carlor, C-A-R-L-O-R dot N-M dot com. So if you like this one, give it a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Let's throw some comments in the section. Share it with a friend. All that stuff helps us grow. So if you like the direction, that's what you'd want to do. If you're looking for my consulting, if you're looking to go online with me one-on-one or even a training plan, um, go ahead and go to craigaperso.com uh, for a link tree or go direct to getmybattleplan.com to do my one-on-one consulting. Jump on a call with me. And let's discuss your goals and see if it's a good fit. Until then, stay blessed.